0: Lord, uh, I pray that you would have your way out today. That's, I had a plan coming in and like like always, you seem to to change that, you change the tone of what we're going through and what we where we're at and what you had on my heart. And but I pray that you would you would show us your your will, your desire for our lives. I I love the way that you orchestrate these even in Barry's prayer of Talking about your faithfulness, God. It's our faith, but it's our faith in your faithfulness. Our faith is in you, God. Because you are a faithful father. You are a good, good father. And my dad saying, that's actually that's where our righteousness comes from. Even Warren talking about uh, our righteousness coming from you and the incredible gift that it is. Lord, let us learn to live on that again. Let us learn to understand that and implement it in our lives. Let's learn to live on that, Lord. Not on our understanding, on our explanations, on our certainty of what this means for our lives. But actually, we live on the promises of God. We live on your promises, which are backed up by your character and your nature, God. Jesus' name. Amen. So, my my plan was like, okay, let's get started because I'm going to cover a whole book of the Bible today. Fortunately, you guys are familiar with it. It's Habakkuk. So this is the second leg in the Habakkuk relay. Last week we had Habakkuk's race. If you haven't heard that, please, I'd I'd encourage you to go and listen. Um, Wendy shared with us, and it was just an incredible understanding of our frustrations and our struggles and our anxiety and how we learn to take that to God, how we learn to deal with it, how we learn to wrestle and embrace the Father and God and just the difficulties of life and making sense of it. But I wanted to try and like back that up and say, okay, let's look at Habakkuk. What is, the, what is the story there? What is the history there? Not because I want to correct anything, but I want you to understand how she got what she got from Habakkuk. So that when you read it, you're not going to be confused and overlooking a lot of the verses, but finding the, the, the handful of ones that seem nice. Because you'll see, when we go through it, it, it seems quite a challenging book. And it's quite a, a short, but it's, um, yeah, it deals with some very complex topics. So, if you're there, Habakkuk 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. This for some context, this is actually written in one of the, the worst times of Israel's life. It's when they were supposed to be the people of God. They're supposed to be a nation that declares how good it is to follow God. And if you live in His ways, this is what it looks like. They were supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. Just like we are. But they weren't. This has gotten to a point where like the king is, he has got slaves. He's, he's leading life in all of the worst ways. To the point where there's potentially even like child sacrifice, what he's talking about. And... It is amazing to see that in the midst of this context, this is what Habakkuk is talking about. He's looking around and we might be complaining about the state of the world, but he's looking and saying, this is the state of your people, God. You've chosen these people and look at what it's like. It's like us looking and what is the state of the church at the moment? What is the state of our church at the moment? Are we longing to see actually can you bring transformation here? So Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We, we, we all have our own frustrations and we, we want to take that to God and say, how long, O Lord? But Habakkuk is doing that and he's saying, how long, O Lord, are you going to let the, the wicked prosper? How long are you going to let this go the way that it is? We're supposed to have rights. We're supposed to have justice. We're supposed to have this incredible picture of who the people of God can be. And he's saying, but it's not that. So he, he takes it to God and he actually says, how long, O Lord? He takes his complaints, he takes his frustration. I know we all have our frustration, we all have our problems, but do we take them to God? Or do we go looking everywhere else for a solution? Do we go to every other form of entertainment, every other form of satisfaction for every other answer? We want to go to medicine, we want to go to psychologists, we want to go to, I don't know, a different job or a different church or a different country to run away. We want to solve the problems that we see. But actually, the instruction yeah, and the, the challenge of a person of faith is, can you take your problems to God, regardless of what the, the, the answer is going to be? Because this book is a conversation basically between Habakkuk and God. And he takes his complaints and then he gets a response. And he takes his complaints and he gets a response. And he might not, and I, you'll understand why, he's not that happy about God's response. Because he said, how long, O oh Lord? Aren't you going to come and save your people? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. This is God's answer. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We love that verse. We love quoting. It's like God's going to do a work in our days that you wouldn't even believe. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who will sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling place not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. That's the answer. I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe. I'm raising up the Babylonians, and they're going to come and wipe you out, basically. <laughs> it's like, ah, God, that's not the answer we kind of wanted. We, we're your people. We, we're the church. It's like, don't worry. I'm raising up judgment that's actually going to come against you. And he's like, how can you do that? Because he's, he's so passionate about his own people being holy and pure and righteous. We talk, we're going to go on to judgment in the Sermon on the Mount next. And he's saying like, actually, you need to get the log out of your own eye before you try and sort out the world. Because we can look and we point fingers at the government and say, you're so corrupt. How are your taxes? You're so corrupt. How are you doing in your life? We look at other people. It's like, how can they live like that? And they're sleeping around and they're doing this. And it's like, but don't we do some of the same thing in the church? And the, the prayer and the desire of our heart should actually be, God, start with us, purify us, so that we can be salt and light, so that we can be who we were called to be. And not out of a works aspect, but it's actually God wants to give us a way of life that we can represent Him well to the world. We can represent Him well of what it means to actually be transformed from the inside out, so we can display something to the world. We learned something at 3CI was actually, what's the worst thing or the one thing worse than an interrupting father is a father who doesn't interrupt. When you see your kids playing and they're wrestling and they're doing stuff like incredibly naughty stuff, the the father that doesn't care, that is not loving, just lets them get away with it. But the father that cares gets involved and brings discipline. I was reminded of a story where, And growing up, I never got away with anything. It sucked. Uh, Either I was really bad at doing stuff that was wrong, but I felt like I did it exactly the same as my friends, and I didn't get away with it. They did. We went on an incredible church camp, you know those church youth camps, and we took some um, interesting beverages along with us, which wasn't quite according to the youth camp plans. But this truth kind of came out and I was the one that got taken off of the camp. And my parents came and picked me up and they sorted this out. Everybody else got away with it. They even like kept the stuff and they stayed there for the rest of the camp and had fun. And that wasn't the only time. It's like It seemed like any time I did something wrong, I was caught. And there was the incredible grace of God watching over me. That any time I tried to like step out of line, and I mean... I managed to step out of line a lot after that and still do, unfortunately. But God never let me go further than what like, I could almost handle. And He constantly brought discipline in my life. And I, I look back on it now and I would just say, thank you, God. And so it's like, can we look at the discipline of God? Is actually, He's an interrupting Father, yet He cares about you. Even if it seems like the Babylonians are coming. But Habakkuk replies, O oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, we will not die. O oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O oh rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent with while the wicked swallow up more or oh, those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked Foe pulls all of them up with his hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnets. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnets. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk goes back to God and he's like, I, I know you're bringing judgment but surely you can't let this go on like to the nth degree. You are too pure to look on the evil. Even the evil that is being used to judge what's also evil. God's using one set of sinners to judge another set of sinners. It's like he's raising up the Babylonians that are worse in their actions. It, and God doesn't justify that. But God's amazing that He uses sin. He uses brokenness to actually bring Himself glory. The ultimate expression of that is actually the crucifixion. Where it was sinful what those guys were doing. Yet it was God's plan from like, the creation. And God somehow uses that to bring glory. So in our lives, sometimes it may seem like our boss or somebody else... Somebody's getting away with evil. And we look and say, how long will Lord? Surely there can't be. Surely you too pure to look on this. Surely this can't be the way that the world should be. And it's like, actually, I'm going to set myself up. Because I know who you are, God. But life doesn't seem to be matching with my reality of who I, I believe God to be. My faith in who God is doesn't match with my current reality. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand on my watchtower and I'm going to look. We love to use that verse and say, actually, I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait. But actually, he's he's doing it in a place of like brokenness. He's saying, surely it can't go on the way that God's told me it will. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits in a point of time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Again, we love those verses that it's like, ah, oh, man, what's your vision for your life? Write it so that it's clear, so you know what it is. But this is the vision that God is basically giving. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not all your debtors suddenly arise? Will, not, will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who rebuilds his realm by unjust gain. To set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the walls will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. This vision is actually that the way of the wicked will like lead to destruction. But it's going to seem like it's actually successful at times. This is describing the way of the world. It's saying there's the righteous will live by faith but actually there's there's ways of the wicked and they create like empires for themselves and they try and build this up and they set themselves up as if they're like these eagles building a nest and it's nations that are building strongholds and it seems to prosper it, but then it leads to destruction. And in the midst of this God drops this for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with a shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed land and cities and everyone in them of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies for he who makes it trust in his own creation he makes idols that cannot speak woe to him who says to wood come to life or to lifeless stone wake up can it give guidance it is covered with gold and silver there is no breath in it but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him this is almost like the the complete opposite of The Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. This is like a woe to the ways of the world. Woe to those who trust in their drunkenness. Woe to those who trust in their greed. Woe to those who build their life upon that. Because even if you are successful, that is the judgment of God. If you are greedy, the worst thing you can actually have is success. Because it will never satisfy. If you are longing for that, like whatever your idol is, even if you get it, it doesn't satisfy. It's like we're crying out, God, help me with my anxiety. But to be free of our anxiety, we actually have to be free of our idolatry. It sounds intense, but actually we're longing for peace. Lord, I just want enough finances to be secure. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You'll never be satisfied if your security is based in earthly things. The reality is the only thing that provides us with that security is faith in the faithfulness of God, in His promises. Anything short of that is an idol that we've crafted and made ourselves and then we bow down before it. It's as crude as saying, like, man, he makes an idol out of the wood that he's chopped down. Half of it he throws onto the fire. The other one he creates a God and he worships it. And we laugh at somebody who do that. And yet we do the same with our careers or our relationships or our finances or our pleasure. Whatever that is we're seeking. Like whatever we're looking and saying, how long, O Lord, is probably it's either pointing a, a finger at where our idolatry is or it is the righteousness of God. If we're longing for the church to be the church and for us to be the righteousness of God displaying it to the world, if that's your longing, then I think there's a righteous yearning. But anything short of that, it's like, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to suffer with this illness? It's like we, we're looking for life to satisfy everything we want. How long, O oh Lord, until my family is exactly what it should be, and then I'll be happy I don't think you're going to get there because we're looking for earthly things to satisfy an eternal longing. So that's the vision that God gives Habakkuk. And he's like, and that's, that's rough, but this is what I'm going to, I'm going to do. He writes a prayer and he writes a psalm. And this is, is almost what they would sing. This doesn't sound like our worship songs. This is not a good, good father. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan. The Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses? And your victorious chariots, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you stood, you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came up to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With your own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Gloating as though about to devour you wretched, you were, you were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. It's an incredible vision of what God is doing. But it's a vision of what Babylon is actually coming and doing to the people of God. And there's destruction and there's judgment. and there's. But God is using this. And Habakkuk is saying, like God, I see you're at work in all of this, but I partly don't understand. So he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God, my Savior. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. That's the picture that Habakkuk has. And he writes this psalm of what God is doing in the midst of this destruction. And he's like, I don't quite understand. But I see that God is working. And despite the brokenness, despite the destruction, despite the famine, despite the corruption, despite the economy, despite the fuel price, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Despite all of that, he says, I'm going to focus on you. There's that longing inside of us saying, how long, O Lord? But Habakkuk is getting to a point where he's like, I see that there there needs to be judgment. There needs to be destruction. There needs to be God dealing with sin. And it needs to start with us. And it needs to start in the church. And he's saying, despite all of that, I'm going to trust you, God. But he's saying, when you bring that destruction, God, in wrath, remember mercy. It's one of the most powerful lines in this this short little book. In wrath, remember mercy. Because the reality is, God bringing His judgment is what we know... Needs to happen. And we know it actually needs to start with us. That's when we first come to salvation. Is actually we we look around and we can see there's sin in the world. But then God confronts us with our own nature. And He says, actually, but there's sin in you. And how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with that sin, that brokenness that you are prone to, that you are tending to? And the answer is Jesus. Because that is the picture of God's wrath coming, but actually remembering mercy. And the incredible picture there is God's judgment comes and He takes the place for us where it allows us to hold this tension in place. Where it's like we need judgment. We need God to deal with our sin. But He creates a way that we don't have to bear the full brunt of it, and he actually confronts it in a way that creates the safe environment where we can actually become everything we were called to be. And the response is, we need to do it by faith in the righteousness of God. Like my dad said, it's a righteousness get placed upon us because of what Christ has done. That word wrath yeah, it talks about this like violent shaking. It's like when we look at something that's broken in our life and you think about somebody that you love more than anything else. You think about something in your life that you want to fix more than anything else. If, you're an, a, if you've are ever had an addiction to anything and you're trying to break that addiction... There's this like wrestle inside of you. You you want to give in to it, but you're fighting not to. There's this shaking, there's this violent shaking to actually say, I need to do something about this. That's the picture that's here. It's almost this wrath. It's like I have to deal with the sin. And you need to see that this needs to be dealt with. But it, there needs to be a constraint that comes in place. Because that sin wants to run in like an unhealthy way. goes back to that idolatry that it never satisfies. So if you're longing after money or finances, constraint needs to come in. You want to just spend, 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 constraint needs to come in to stop it from running wild. Whether it's an addiction to alcohol, like you just, you can't control yourself. Constraint needs to come in there. And God needs to put a control measure in place. But He actually wants to give you that control from the inside out, not like an external constraint that's placed upon you. Because He wants to empower you to have that inner discipline that we are the people of God. We are the righteousness that we are called to be. And the reason we can have that constraint is because Jesus gave up His freedom for us. He was constrained on the cross for us. And if we're looking at it it's like we love to have the our stories, our books, our sermons, everything that like, tries to build up to the end, where it's like it kind of builds up to this incredible crescendo at the end. That's how we are used to stories being told in a Western world. The Hebraic like way of doing it, the Jewish way of doing it, was actually the pinnacle was at the center of the story. So there was a building up. To the story and then you would have the center points and then you would have the outworking of it. And that's actually what happens here in Habakkuk. Because the center of the book, like the primary verse, is actually the just will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That verse gets quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. Three of the most like profound, uh, partly just three of my favorite books in the Bible. Because it talks about, and you can look at it, the just shall live by faith. In Romans it talks about how we are justified by what Christ has done. Setting us completely free. Warren didn't know that this is what you're preaching on, but Romans is the, like the entire book is almost the exposition of this verse. "The just shall live by faith because that's the gospel. The good news is that actually we live in this broken world of saying how long O Lord by faith in God's faithfulness. And that's what justifies us with God. It's what like declares that we are right with God. The crescendo of like Romans is actually there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing you can do to undo what God has done for you. You are free. You are chosen. You are loved. You are son and daughter of God. That's what God tries to come and declare over us. You are just. The just shall live. In Galatians it talks about how we are called to live. Not only are you set free, not only We don't go back to a set of rules. In Galatians, there's a temptation for the people to go back to the law. Of give me the right and wrong. Give me what I'm supposed to do. And I'll do the right thing so that my life will go the way that I want it to go, God. I'll do the right thing. You play your part. Then I'll have the life that I want. God doesn't want to work like that. He wants to change us from the inside out. He's given us the spirit so that we can live. The just shall live. We're not called to just survive. We're not called to obey the rules so that we'll have a good life. We're not called he wants to actually transform our hearts and give us the spirit inside of us. That's why we cry out so we are in anguish so that Christ may be formed in you. So that Christ can actually be formed in us. He doesn't want to just get us to do the good Christian thing. It's like, okay, I'll give my tithe and I'll go to church on a Sunday so that my life will be okay. He wants to transform you from the inside out so that you can become a brand new person. Set free from everything that held you back in the past. You don't realize the purpose that God actually has for your life. Because He wants to create in you a son and daughter of God. C.S. Lewis uses this analogy where we know that God is trying to, He he comes and He moves into our heart. We've got this nice little picture, but then He starts breaking out walls. And you're like, what are you doing? No, I like that. that. No, no, no. You don't know what I'm building you into. We've got this nice little picture of, I'll just be this tiny little cottage. I'll try and be this tiny little home. He's like, no, I want to make you into a mansion that is worthy of housing my spirit. Because that is what the potential is that's locked up inside of you. And that just shall live. That's how we get to live. With the Spirit inside of us overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. With love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And faithfulness. Actually, He turns us in from people that trust God's faith and faithfulness into people that can actually be faithful we're faithful husbands and wives, and we're faithful friends, we can be relied upon. That I know that actually I can rely upon my friends here. They're encouraging, believing brothers and friends, and they become people that actually I can rely upon them. No matter what, when something goes wrong, we can do this together, and we can learn to rely on each other as a church and as a community. The last one he quotes it in Hebrews, where it's actually we have all confidence to enter in to the most holy place. In the Jewish temple, you had the holy of holies, where nobody except for the great high priest once a year could go in to meet with God. And because of what Jesus has done, and because of this verse, the righteous shall live by faith. We have confidence. To actually meet with God. Do we understand the incredible privilege that is? We have the privilege and the confidence to meet with God. Because it's not based on how you did. It's not based on your prayer life. It's not based on your quiet times it's not based on how you're doing it's not based on your level of anxiety or trust or confidence it's not based on how good you were this week it's not based on anything that we do it's based on what Jesus has done therefore we have confidence to enter into the most holy place to meet with God the God whose glory will cover the earth one day like the waters cover the sea that is completely there is nothing that covers the sea like the water like There is nothing that's going to cover the world like God's glory. And in the midst of this saying, how long, O Lord, with judgment coming and pain coming, Habakkuk can look and say, actually, every knee will bow one day to God's glory. I might not understand it. I might not see it fully now. But one day, everybody's going to know God the way that we can know Him now. One day, all of the church will see God in this way. One day, we're going to be the salt and light of the world like this. And He can start with us today. And He starts with us and He starts to transform us. That's the story of Habakkuk. That's why we can run like this. That's why we can know that in wrath, God has remembered mercy. And He's remembered us. And we can say, how long, O Lord? And we can wrestle with Him, but know that actually, We have a God that we can trust. And by faith, we can actually run, knowing that there is no condemnation for us, knowing that there's a life for us to live to the fullness of it until Christ is formed in our hearts and in our lives and in our marriages. So we can be free, so we can be free of anxiety, so we can be free of those concerns. We come back to the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because I am faithful. The righteous shall live by faith. That word faith can actually also be faithfulness. Because we don't live in our understanding. We don't live by the fact that we understand how the world is going. And what's actually happening. We live on the promises of God. The promises that are backed up by the character and nature of God. When God He's asked, like, show me who you are. Show me your glory. He says, this is my name in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, repentance, like, and sin. Like, that's the God that we serve. But He doesn't, rem- doesn't forget our sin. He still brings Justice any time where you've been wronged or hurt or sinned against, God does not overlook that sin apart from Christ. So He's going to bring justice. You don't have to bring justice. You don't have to bring like vengeance. You can actually forgive and you can entrust that to God because He is faithful. So we live on the promises of God that are backed up by God's whose character and nature can be trusted. Lord, I want to thank you for this challenging but incredibly powerful book of the Bible. Thank you for Habakkuk, a man who wrestled with you and wrote down his concerns, wrote down his private interactions with you so that we can be benefiting from it thousands of years later. Lord, thank you that you are creating a community here that is trusting your faithfulness. Thank you that it is your constraint that has set us free, Lord. I pray as we take communion now, Lord, that you would remind us again that the reason we can actually be free is because of your constraint. The reason we can live is because of your death. The reason we can be everything and live into the fullness of what you have for us is because you died. The reason we can live in the palace, we can look forward to heaven is because you gave up heaven and you came down and you suffered for us all.